Welcome to episode 55 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lomboss. And we are podcasting from Brittany's apartment in Pigeontown, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It is another festival season in New Orleans, which I feel like never ends at this point. But this is like the big, big one. Well, Jazz Fest is right now. Yeah. And just in our rear view, we had Overlook Film Fest, which I went to. French like Quarter Fest. French Quarter that. Fest, yeah. We're like in the thick of like springtime. Well, it's getting hot. Yeah. People like to go outside and thrive in the heat. Mm-hmm. And actually, we just got invited to go to... Actually, I haven't told you this yet. Um, ah! We got invited to go to this conference that's like the American Library Association. It's like the first time they ALA? Been, yeah. Holy shit. I went one time... They came like right after Katrina. It was like the first big convention that came. Like, yeah. It was either 06 or 07. And we get to meet like Neil Gaiman and stuff. And oh my god. There's this whole like floor of like exhibitors like giving away free copies of books and stuff oh my god that's um, amazing swamp flicks got invited because we applied uh to <laughs> um exhibit some zines there on the floor oh, that's awesome so i think that's in june i think late june so okay. uh that's like the news of the week for us that's amazing yeah Wow. So it's been pretty busy in the city. Yeah. Uh, have you been watching movies? I have. <laughs> okay, what you been watching? And I've been watching newer movies, too. Me, too. And not all of them have been Netflix originals, so I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> I'm expanding my horizons. Mm-hmm. I recently watched Snatched with um, Amy Schumer and Goldie, Goldie Hawn. Something happened with Amy Schumer where she came out and everybody was like, oh, she's super funny. And then, like, now no one likes her anymore. I don't know if she made some kind of weird comment or people just got annoyed with her. I don't know. I've just been kind of like, okay with her. Like, I'm not like, oh my God, I love her. Or, oh my God, I hate her. I'm just like, okay, well, I, I like It might have been an overexposure thing. Cause Maybe she, so. she got really big around Trainwreck and it feels like kind of... Yeah, I saw right Trainwreck and I was like, oh, that was a funny movie. Yeah, me too. So I didn't hate it. And I'm like, what shit would happen? Like, I felt like lame for watching this Snatched movie. Oh, and horrible reviews. Like... It did not do well, but I loved it. Oh, yeah? I laughed so much. This has been, like, the first movie that Goldie Hawn has done since the Banger Sisters in I saw that in the theater. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing movie, right? <laughs> I remember a lot of... I love that you saw that in theaters. It's I remember there's awesome. a lot about, like, dick pics in that movie. She's, like, a shoebox full of, like, Polaroids of dudes' dicks that she had sex with in, like, rock and roll times. Ugh. Is that, like, part of the uh, plaster caster lady who, like... Plastercaster. There's this lady who, she's an artist, so she does other things, but, like, one of the main things she's famous for was making, like, plaster casts of famous rock stars' dicks that she had slept with. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I feel like they were, like, playing Wait, with that. Wait, was this in the movie, or was this in no, real this is life? real life. Wow. And I feel like the Banger Sisters oh was kind of playing with that, because they were like, kind of, like, ex-rock groupies that, like, yeah. kind of grew up, you know? They're all, like, smoky and... Kind of like leathery, not mm-hmm. like in the skin way, but like in the way they dress because they look amazing. Who was the other banger sisters? Um, Susan, Susan Sarandon. Sarandon. Oh, she's yeah. wonderful. They're both like fabulous. Yeah. I love both of them very much. So yeah, Goldie Hawn in here though, she was much different than her um, banger sisters role. She played Amy Schumer's kind of like, not really an overprotective mother, but just kind of like a mom. Like Amy Schumer breaks up with her boyfriend and she goes on Facebook and comments on her like relationship status and she's like, oh no, what happened? And she's like, mom, this is public. And she's like, what? I can't stop typing at all caps. Like, <laughs> you know, stuff that moms do. Yeah. And what happens is Amy Schumer books this non-refundable trip to Ecuador to go on with her boyfriend. And he's a musician and he basically breaks up with her because he wants to like have more vaginas in his life. So she tries to get all her friends to go with her and nobody wants to go with her because they're like, oh, like you owe me money or I have kids and all this kind of stuff or my husband won't let me. 
And then she's like, shit, I guess I'll ask my mom. And her mom's like this, like, used to be adventurous type person, um, used to travel a lot. And then something happened and she's very, like, she stays at home with her cats. Like, watching Goldie (laughs) Hawn, like, feed cats in her house reminded me so much of Death Becomes Her. Where she's eating the cat food. I was like, oh, intense (laughs) flashbacks. It It was so good. So she goes to Ecuador and... Amy Schumer meets this, like, super handsome, charming guy with a British accent. So you already know something weird's about to happen. And they get kidnapped and held for ransom by some South American criminals. And then it becomes, like, this, like, quirky journey with mother and daughter. And Wanda Sykes and Joan Cusack um, kind of try to save the day. It's very funny. Like, I thought it was very funny. And God, Arturo Castro, he plays Jaime on Broad City. Oh, he's so funny. He's in it for a, a second. He's the village doctor and he pulls a tapeworm out of Amy Schumer's throat. <laughs> um, and the, there's the tapeworm scene really reminded me a lot of Zombie Ass, the movie that we, um, that James made us <laughs> Toilet watch. of the Dead. Yeah, it was just like this really bad CGI giant tapeworm like slithering out her throat. <laughs> and like Jaime and all, they're like holding these this like huge chunk of meat to like lure it out it's Gross. just it was very disgusting that sounds awesome it was funny maybe that movie was the turning point against her though cuz i guess i'm kind of remembering it as you're giving me the plot that like uh-huh. she was being accused of like like white feminism so you have these like two white women going into this like Oh. Foreign country full of brown people and they, gotcha. everyone's a criminal there and they Maybe get abducted. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Shit. Well, it was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I didn't look at it in that way though. Her new movie's got similar controversy too. It's called I Feel Pretty and like it's about body positivity and stuff mm-hmm. and it's getting the same kind of like half and half response. Like some people think it's really empowering and like funny and you know her sort of like honest like confessional comedy about like the way she views her own body and stuff. Right. And then the other half is like people complaining about white feminism issues and how it's not actually as progressive as it looks from the outside. So she kind of draws like that kind of division, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm curious to see that like as like a fat white woman, (laughs) like (laughs) let's see what this movie has in store for me. The trailer did not give me any confidence in it but i've heard some reviews defend it in a way that made it sound more interesting than that because i I did watch the trailer and i didn't laugh um and usually that's like a sign because the trailers normally put like the funniest stuff out there right they were like oh let's not put the really funny stuff out there and just put this so people are surprised well what might make you more (laughs) interested in it is that the director of it also did never been kissed sold (laughs) and apparently it's not like a snatch style like over the top humor it's more like never been kissed which is like more like you know kind of subtle romantic character driven this almost seems like shallow how like that's what turned me off from it and i hate that movie so Uh uh-huh but apparently it's more sweet it's more like god i didn't even think i don't know how to think about that right now this is too much yeah i'm just gonna have to see it and make my own decision right maybe there's an amy schumer movie episode in our future we're gonna actually do an autopsy on this era of her career. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Oof. I don't know how we'll come out of that. <laughs> so I watched that and then I lied. I have been watching a lot of Netflix original movies. <laughs> um, and the other one I watched is called Dude. It stars, it stars Lucy Hale. So I still haven't been able to see the Truth or Dare movie. So this is as close to Truth or Dare as I'm going to get at this point until I fix my movie pass. You and I were supposed to go to like a special preview screening of Truth or Dare and it got canceled. I was so excited because you mentioned they like sometimes have swag. So if I could have like a Truth or Dare like, you know, 
filter <laughs> smile like on a popsicle stick to play with. Can I tell you a funny story about that? Sure. Uh, yeah. So the screening got canceled, right? Yes. And as a sort of apology, they were like, hey, why don't you take some swag from one of our other movies? So I got this really dumb... <gasps> Uh, merchandise for blockers, the uh, like John Cena like high school girls sex comedy. Yeah, I have two fidget spinners that have like blockers written on it, <laughs> and the uh, fidget spinners are also like dual bottle openers. Stop it. Uh, and they also give me two uh, large women's tank tops that say cock blockers on it. Oh my god! <laughs> Which okay. I don't know what to do with the tank tops. But... I'll take it. Oh, I'll give those to you. Yeah. Yeah. Give one to me, please. Yeah. <laughs> Next time something like that happens, please let me know. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, that was a big adrenaline rush. Yeah, me too. Right? <laughs> I was laughing. Oh, wait, wait. That's not even all of it. Ah, uh, stop. There's more. <laughs> so John Cena wears these, uh, like, sweat guards on his... Uh, yeah, he does. What are those called? I don't know. Like wristbands. Sweat, they're yeah, sweat. like sweatbands. I used to wear one with, like, AFI symbol on what it. What is that for? I mean, I understand, like, a sweat in your forehead keeps the sweat cool. out of your it eyes. makes you look athletic. I think it just... It collects the sweat from your wrist so it doesn't drip and embarrass you in public. That's ridiculous. But he wears those when he I'm wrestles. Um, and he throws them in the crowd as like a keepsake. Aww. Um, uh, very weird. weird. And for blockers, they also give me two sweatbands that say cock blockers on them. <laughs> so I can give those to you as well if you want them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, any cock blocker merchandise, send my way. <laughs> okay. That's a great movie too, by the way. But I still haven't seen it. Lucy Hale. Oh yeah, so Lucy Hale stars in this movie called dude on netflix which is like it's a 2018 film so it's was made this year i think it came out pretty recently with like the last shift of like new shit on netflix Mm -hmm. i still don't know how i feel about it it's basically a group of girls i don't like it because there's lucy hale but there's also like an asian friend an african-american friend like it's not just a bunch of whiny white girls um so that was kind of cool but what happens is lucy hale's character is dating this guy who is the brother of one of her best friends in the group of the four best friends. And he dies. So then the the film shifts to like, I think like a year later. And it kind of shows them in their senior year of high school. They're going to be going in different directions in their life and how they kind of deal with this change that's coming and dealing with like losing a friend or like the girl who lost the brother, like losing a family member. Yeah, it was kind of a very scattered plot. Like, it it didn't feel whole. It just kind of felt like it would have been the pilot of a mediocre, like a This Is Us or something like that. Oh, like a melodrama? Maybe, yeah. Okay. That's how I'm feeling. But it's funny because it's like girls in high school smoking weed while driving and listening to rap music Uh, and then oh they drink and stuff like that and i'm like oh i guess that's kind of like a coming of age drama right now i hear you say lucy hale as if i'm supposed to know that is oh and i saw truth or dare and really enjoyed it the main girl who she's like our age i think but she looks like she's 12 she's like the like blunt haircut brown and like yeah. like little like she looks like a little petite angelina jolie um i gotta say i love truth or dare a lot more than most people seem to yeah and the actors were not the draw for that movie oh <laughs> she sucks yeah like the thing with her that like has always blown my mind is she started in that show pretty little liars oh where she is a high school student who is like 16 years old that is sleeping with her teacher who is like james morrison I think I'm getting this show confused with a different show. And it was just super <laughs> uncomfortable because the girls, I remember like these like little girls would watch it. I'm a little girl's been like teens and I was working at like a toy store at the time and they would just be like, oh my God, 
Pretty Little Liars. You know, oh, he's so cute. And I'm just like, that's so weird. What's the more recent show with, like, Nicole Kidman and... Oh, Big Little Lies. Damn it. I've seen yeah, that one. I haven't that seen one's it. a good one. Yeah. Uh, Pretty Little Liars is kind of... It's a you older. would love it, actually. <laughs> Never mind. It's, you would really like it. It's like um, these four girls, kind of like dude. <laughs> like, But they're all spoiled brat, like white little bitches. Mm-hmm. And one of them like dies and it's mysterious. And her name's like Allison. They're trying to figure out like how she died or something like that. So they get text messages and it's like, oh my God, how do they know that kind of situation and it's signed like a so it's like allison texting from the dead you would like that with all that like you know yeah what spooky is that? internet spooky internet shit you're yeah into. <laughs> much like yeah. truth or dare which is pretty much like a uh snapchat filter horror movie so yeah well so you've seen truth or dare yeah yeah i, I kind of went on about that in the last episode okay. uh then and, you don't have to and i gave it a four star review Ooh, <laughs> so. wow. It's one of my favorite, like, trashy films of the year so far. Gotcha. But I do have a bunch of newer stuff I want to run yeah. through. What else um, you been watching? A lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I want to call out this, like, smaller indie movie that doesn't even have distribution yet. The director's name is Shaz Bennett, and she was in town to film an episode of Queen Sugar, just like a local TV show that always has, like, female directors running through town to film things, which is really good because hmm. TV's, like, become this, like, kind of haven for, like, female directors to actually get projects off the ground. Meanwhile, she has this movie that's been screening at festivals for the last year and has not gotten distribution yet. And it's kind of weird to me because it seems like it'd be a pretty easy sell right now. Uh, It's called Alaska is a Drag. It's about this guy who works in a fish cannery in Alaska, uh, which is a pretty like macho working class job. Right. And in his off time, he has two pursuits. Uh, one is he's training to be an amateur boxer. Okay. And the other is he is developing his drag queen persona. Oh, okay. He has this really close relationship with his twin sister, and they like to dress up and drag together and do, like, voguing and lip syncing and a lot of, like, sequins and strobe lights and all this. Awesome. Uh, and it's kind of like the fits. Uh, in that movie, the main girl is into rhythmic dance and boxing, and as she becomes a more developed person, those two things merge. And, like, one of the highlights of that movie is, like, her including her dance moves in her boxing routine. That movie's phenomenal. Does that happen with... Yes. So, like, in Alaska as a drag, this kid is, like, kind of bifurcated in his two interests. Yeah. And he uh, sort of starts combining them as he goes along. And one of the climactic scenes is him, like... Actually, it's a, a whole sequence where his two interests have their, like events on the same day so he has this like major drag show that he's supposed to enter into and also this like amateur boxing challenge so his solution is he's just he gets his makeup done and boxes in drag and then goes on to the drag show after the fact i was gonna i was thinking like does he incorporate like boxing moves into voguing because i can see that there's a lot of daydreaming like asides yeah and actually the director said in the q a that she conceived of the movie while she was working in a fish cannery and had these sort of like (laughs) daydreams about like other workers there. And so he'll be working gutting fish in this like really gross little factory setting and he'll have this daydream about, you know, his like drag routine that's like sort of... Being a fish. You're right. There's a fishy pun in there that I didn't (laughs) catch. Um, But yeah, in his head it looks better than it actually looks on stage, you know, which is kind of a nice touch. But he starts incorporating these like gold lame boxing gloves in his drag look and his daydreams and it's really beautiful. Really fun film. It's it's not expertly made, but it's not even mm-hmm. trying to be. It incorporates these like really obviously artificial CGI elements. Like he'll walk through a field and like dandelion seeds will spread behind him, or uh, they'll be talking shit uh, while under the stars, and like aurora borealis will just appear like 
overlaid on top of the air above their trailer. Um, oh, I love that. It's got kind of like a magical realism yeah. element to that. And mm. it's kind of like a really sweet story about these like small town kids trying to find their own community. And when you say kids, like how old are... Like 19, 20, okay. somewhere in there. Gotcha. It's it's those like, I can't wait to get out of this town kind of kids. Gotcha. They're like... I love those kinds of movies. Yeah. They're too young awesome. to drink at the bar, but like... Margaret Cho is actually in it, and oh. she runs the only gay bar in town and, like, serves them alcohol anyway, because it's like, where the fuck else is it going to go? Right. So, yeah, it's a really fun, nice. sweet, magical movie about drag and boxing. It's called Alaska is a Drag. Uh, if you can catch a screening of it somewhere, please do, like, keep an eye out for it. I'm sure it'll be on VOD at some point. Also, speaking of, like, gay stuff, I saw two or three times over the weekend Janelle Monae's new movie. Did you watch this? Oh, isn't it like a strange title? It's like called Bear Dirty Computer. Never mind. An emotion Shit. picture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's basically like Lemonade. You know, it's like five or six music videos strung together. Oh. Uh, but this one has a more cohesive plot to it. Uh, it's like this like sci-fi story about this woman who's been sort of abducted by the police and is being drained of her memories of being a bisexual woman. And this is coinciding with a recent. Uh, Rolling Stone interview where Janelle Monet came out as uh, pansexual. I think she just said queer. I wasn't really yeah. sure on the details. I was reading an article about that like last night. In the movie, she is like clearly by the nice. character she's playing, and she's in this like love affair with both Tessa Thompson, who's like a f- fantastic actress. She started on Veronica Mars. Uh, she was in Creed and who's she in Veronica Mars? Okay, that's probably her worst credit. To be honest, I shouldn't have mentioned it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing I. Like... She's in the second season. She's like the baseball player's uh, daughter that comes in and becomes like a uh, love interest for okay. the buddy whose name I can't remember right now. Not a great performance, but it was the character's writing, I think, that was a problem there. Because she's a really great actress, okay. otherwise. Really good in Creed. Like, you definitely need to see that if you haven't seen it. I have not seen it yet. Um, speaking of boxing and gay stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, this Janemo and A video is just so fucking gay and so fun It's this really weird sci-fi trip. And it's only like, I think, 45, 50 minutes long. And it works really well as a feature film, even though it is short. Like, if she padded it out even longer, it wouldn't have been as good. And it has this really nice through line where, like, Tessa Thompson is in all the music videos. They're strung into the wraparound story in, like, this, like, anthology series kind of way. Where each video is, like, a memory that the sci-fi facility is deleting one at a time. And the songs are... Some of the best I've ever heard from her. Really? Prince actually worked on the record with her before he died. Oh, wow. And you can hear it in the guitar and in the uh, synths. Like oh, that's it's, awesome. It's very much like a 1999 era Prince record. Really fantastic stuff. I, uh, liked, I like her. She's. I think she's like super talented, like acting-wise and like musically talented, too. I've been really impressed with her for a very long time. Like mm-hmm. Since like the... Uh, Metropolis One record from like 07, I think. It's like her first EP. Only the first thing. I just remember the Tightrope song. Yeah, I kind of gave up on her at some point, though, because yeah. she had this, like, really strong sci-fi story with, like, androids and, like, this whole, like, metaphor she was working on, and then I heard her do this song about um, letting your booty do that yoga that wasn't like oh, a... Oh, yeah, it was like... Baby, bend over, baby, bend over, let, let your booty do, do that, that yoga. Let me say, yeah, do that yoga. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. It's not a bad pop song, but for her, it was like kind of a step down to me. It's kind of like it didn't showcase her voice very well. It could have been by anybody, really. Yeah, like it didn't stick out as oh, it's yeah. I remember this. It's all coming to my head now. This is like so Janelle Monae and so fun, 
and awesome. such an easy watch. Like, it is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Oh, wow. Uh, even though it's just, like, basically a glorified Strong music words. video. But music videos are so fucking good. And we had this conversation, like, probably, like, what, like, years ago when we did Girl Talk all day. And yeah. And we're like, music videos are, like, movies too. Yeah. Which, totally, I think so. And that was around the time Lemonade came out when we did the whole oh, Girl yeah, Walk thing. Lemonade, yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of really good ones. I'd say this is one of the best. Sweet. I think I did like a list around that time, like top five visual albums. And, um, and uh, yeah, the Kate Bush Red Shoes. Was oh, one. that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, this is one. up there. It's it's Ooh. and it's really cohesive. Like it does tell a a story from beginning to end, which those kind of like lose it sometimes. Yeah, I like that. Highly recommended. Last one I'm only gonna mention because. All April, we've been talking about Charles Band children movies. Yeah. On the website, because uh, you made us watch Magic in the Mirror. Right. Which is this horrifying movie to me. You're welcome. No one else thinks it's as scary as I do. It's not. I don't know where you're getting all this from. <laughs> There's these creepy duck people in that movie. Um, I know, it is. It is creepy. I just don't know why I find them, like, magical instead of terrifying. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. It looks like if a serial killer remade Howard the Duck <laughs> in their own basement on, like, a camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> So, True. I did find a movie that I think proves how creepy these Charles Band children's movies are. This is from Moonbeam Entertainment instead of Full Moon. Uh, it's this movie, The Secret Kingdom, from mm. 1998, uh, also known as The Tiny Kingdom. It's doing two things that I think are interesting. Uh, first of all, it's set in New Orleans. Very cool. Uh, so, it's worth seeing for us for that reason. Uh, and early in the movie, there's a lot of like touristy stuff. Like They go to the cathedral, and they watch the Natchez go by, and... Uh, they go to a Mardi Gras parade float warehouse and the cemeteries and all that shit. Oh, fun. But the two things I think it's doing that are interesting is, one, it brings the Full Moon Entertainment brand into Charles Band's usual thing with Full Moon, which is, this movie's about miniature bullshit. Uh, it's about these, like, kids who get transported to this tiny realm under the kitchen sink in their own house. <gasps> so they I get- love, like, anything dealing with miniature anything. Whoa. Which will play heavily into our episode today. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so this, ah! this is a 90s movie where kids get shrunk down real small and go to this tiny kingdom under the kitchen sink. Wait, what year is this? This Nin- sounds a lot like The Borrowers or like Indian in the Cupboard. It does kind sound of shit. like that. Yeah. Indian in the Cupboard was definitely they one of the things I think of. loved small shit in the 90s. And I feel apparently. like Charles Band was really into that. Because he had like the Doll Man. Mm-hmm. Or like... <laughs> doll Man, Ginger Dead Man, Demonic I mean, Toys. Puppet Master. Puppet those Master. are all small as shit. Interesting. Speaking of Puppet Master, that's where I was going with the second thing. Secondly, it makes it very explicit why I think these Charles Band movies for kids are creepy. Charles Band, in general, makes these R-rated horror films that are for adults but feel like kids' movies. Like, you watch, like, Ghoulies 2 or something. Yeah. Like, it feels like a kids' movie that just happens to have, like, tits and gore in it. Because it's silly. Yeah, it's very silly, and it it has, like, dinky music and stuff. (laughs) This movie's for children. Dinky music. Uh, the villain is a bureaucrat who's obsessed with perfection. Uh, he's basically like an evil Nazi doctor Whoa. who perfects people through elective surgery. Sometimes that includes removing their eyes and replacing with just like smoothed <laughs> over skin. Uh, there's these Nazi cops with like wow. flat plates for heads. And also this humanoid dog that's used in, like, searching for children in the woods to hunt them down. And oh, shut up. <laughs> it's fucking disturbing. Wow. And it's directed by the guy who did, his name's David Schmoller. He did Puppet Master, and he also did Taurus Trap. God bless Taurus Trap. <laughs> that is a great movie. And I think Taurus Trap is actually the first uh, Charles Band production that was about, like, dolls. So, like, this guy did Puppet Master and Taurus Trap, pretty much, like, helped define Charles Band's whole, like, evil doll 
you know, yeah. mystique. He found uh, it's like he found his groove. Totally. Maybe. And he's been stuck yeah. in it forever. <laughs> uh, they, they just opened a new uh, Puppet Master movie at Overlook Festival last weekend. Oh, wow. Uh, so, basically, if you don't believe me that Magic in the Mirror is super creepy, watch The the Secret Kingdom and see where I'm coming okay. from. I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, today we are talking about miniature bullshit, though. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. Because we're going to review all three movies in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise. I'm not even really sure why we landed on this topic, but it actually opened up some interesting recent developments um, and things I didn't know about. Them the recognition that they deserve. I feel like these are like three very good movies and it's a very good franchise, but... Yeah, I'd seen them all as a kid like a bunch of times and just hadn't really thought about them in a while. And I appreciated them more in retrospect. It was nice watching them again. And before that, we'll get into a movie in the minute segment as usual. Yes. And all that's coming up to you right now. Born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. And now it's time for our regular Movie the Minute segment. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And it was my turn to pick this time. Yes. And I kind of wanted to pick a movie that influenced what we'll be talking about later in the show. (laughs) Uh, And this movie's actually, like, super influential in a bunch of ways. It's from 1954, and it's called Them, with an exclamation point. Mm -hmm. This is the first big bug monster movie. And it's actually one of the first big, oversized monster movies in general. This Mm -hmm. was released the same year as Godzilla, but just like slightly earlier in America. It's the most basic, giant monster genre template you can imagine. Like, it's about this like nuclear test site in New Mexico, where uh, these mysterious murders start happening, and people question like... What could possibly be doing this? What, like, sick, depraved killer could be leaving these sugar cubes and, like, (laughs) destroyed houses behind as he kills entire families? And it turns out that it's actually giant insects. More specifically, giant ants. Now, Killer Ants has become its own movie genre since then. Uh, One of the first zines I ever made from our stuff on the website was this thing called Marabunta Cinema, where I watched, I think, like, eight or nine feature (laughs) films about killer ants. This was the first one and the best one. Uh, the only one that even came close in terms of quality was Phase 4, which is a really weird psychedelic movie from the 70s. Uh-huh. In them, we know as an audience now what the they in the title is uh, indicating. We're like, oh, it's Killer Ants. It's even on the posters for the DVDs now. But for the first half hour of the film, they won't show you who they are. And you have to like wait, and there's supposed to be this suspense. And then when you see them... They're these giant bugs, you know? Yeah. It's these giant ants, these handmade puppets that people are obviously operating. It's a genre that Corman would later go on, like, to find his whole career making these, like, giant monster movies. Yeah. That all followed this exact plot. But for some reason, this one, I think, establishes, like, a pretty good eerie atmosphere that a lot of the movies that imitate it can't really match. And even though it was, like, really familiar to me, it felt like a phenomenal version of like a genre that I've seen a lot of times before and since. I know that you tend to watch movies that we assign kind of going in blind without like researching them beforehand. Yeah. So how did it feel going into this like monster movie? For some reason, like the theme of the podcast, I was like, oh, like something's going to be really small. (laughs) So I I went in blind to this and then it ended up being a super big ant, Um, multiple super big ants. And the best way for me to explain how I felt about this movie is that it was really good, but it has all the ingredients of, like, a silly, stupid, like, B movie. 
but it doesn't go there. Like, it feels so serious. Like, when you think about it, you're like, oh, killer ants, you know, shit, that's so stupid. But, like, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, my God. And it happened, I think, like, this movie was not even, like, ten years from the um, Atomic... Yeah, it's, like, pretty yes. close after. Yeah, so, and that's, like, the whole point of this movie is, like, oh, like, you know, we did this, like, you know, bomb in the desert Which years is, ago, and now the after effects are still there. So that's really creepy. It's the point that they make at the end of the film. Like, usually, at the beginning of a movie, they'll say, like, oh, we tested the atomic bomb in this area. Who knows what will happen because of that. Right. Here, you see the monsters and everything. And, that, right. and then at the very end, this, like, scientist character's like... When man entered the atomic age, he opened a door to a new world. Yes. What we may find in that new world, nobody can predict. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, like, eerie. Like, ooh. Yeah. Like, it kind of left on. That's why I liked the way it, like, ended. Where it's kind of, you know, not like a wholesome ending. Like, oh, we, we you know, killed the ants. All is good in the world. It's kind of like, shit, what else is next? And I couldn't help but think of the movie Alligator. Oh, yeah. Because they're, they're in the, the sewers of, like, L.A., and they're killing these giant ants. And I just couldn't help thinking of this giant fucking alligator in the alligator movie in the sewers of New York City. So it's just kind of... I saw how influential it was to all these awesome movies that I like, and I really, really appreciate this film. That's good, because I could kind of see, like, not knowing the history behind it, like, thinking, like, what makes this special as opposed to any other movie? Right. And it really is that it, like, invented that stuff. Yeah. All uh, that good stuff that we're blessed with today. They even make it explicit, that urban legend about, like, alligators in the sewers. They're, like, uh, they have these, like, spinning newspaper announcements that are, like, the ants are under L.A. What city could be next? So they're, like, <laughs> trying to make you scared in, like, whatever city you're watching in, you know? It was funny watching how, like, how the cops handle, like, these crime scenes, too. Mm-hmm. Where I'm just, like, wow, they're moving shit everywhere. Like, thank God it was ants. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I love how also, not that I love it, but I thought it was very interesting, um, better choice of word, how it's just like that, it doesn't happen in current films all that much, but in old movies where when something crazy happens, they find a murder scene, they like, they're like, check the psychiatric facility. <laughs> you know, a psycho has escaped. Oh yeah, Or totally. something like that. Yeah. Oh God. It's very Hitchcock in that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> And the scenes are, like, filmed in this, like, really serious murder mystery way. Like, mm-hmm. it's just completely destroyed. Like, it looks like a maniac had gone through specifically, like, just knocking over right. shelves and stuff. One of the first ones is in this corner store. And it has, like, a uh, light bulb hanging from the ceiling that's just swinging from side to side. Oh, oh, yeah, with the pop or whatever. Yeah, it was like a mom and pop shop. And pop got popped. Pop got popped. <laughs> Tried to pop. And the yeah. swinging light gives it this really eerie lighting because the light's yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's like these whistling winds because they're out in the de- desert, so there's like howling sounds. And then the ants themselves, before you even see them, you mm-hmm. hear this like mechanical like, like yeah, like yeah. The, the little shuffle, and then like they're screeching, right? That wakes up the little girl who's like traumatized, and she's like, "Them, them!" And then it stops, and she goes back. Yeah, I liked like don't get me wrong, fucking love the giant ants and everything like that. It's pretty cool, but how fun would that whole plot be if it was really like a psycho killer who would like you know terrorize like a trailer like a tornado and then like spread sugar everywhere yeah that'd like, be a... in the desert Oof, it'd be interesting good. like serial killer movie it would because something about being in the desert like it just looks like there's nothing around you everything's dry and dusty probably really hot i'm thinking natural Oof. born killers is kind of like a desert haven't, serial killer movie i haven't right? seen it i don't like it but okay. <laughs> it kind of fits the bill okay. um <laughs> 
in this one, instead, though, you get these, like, giant puppets, which, you know, are really hairy and have these, like, sparkly eyes. They're very glamorous. And like you said earlier, like, we're used to thinking these movies as, like, being very silly, especially, like, the Corman version of this monster movie. Yeah. The Beast with a Million Eyes and stuff like that. Or, um, like, Eight-Legged Freaks. The yeah. more common, or not common, more um, recent and stupid monsters. Day of the Lepus we did on this show before. Yeah. It's like giant bunny rabbits. kind yeah. of the same thing. This movie was actually nominated for an Academy Award for special effects. Oh, wow. Even though it's the same kind of puppetry, it was just like so new. It was so tasteful. And it's taken so seriously. And they do really interesting things with it. Like, there's a helicopter shot over the giant anthill mm-hmm. where this one ant comes out of the hole and starts waving this like human rib cage, like kind of showing <laughs> yeah. off. Uh, and especially later in the film when they start attacking the hive where the ants are hanging out, they torch them with flamethrowers. Mm-hmm. So you have these giant ant puppets that they built, which presumably was like most of the budget, and they're just like literally on fire. Yeah. It looks really crazy. I'm not used to seeing that like willful destruction of the puppets in these kinds of movies, you I know? No, now we have CGI. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I think part of that is that this is like a actual major studio making this kind of like monster movie, you know? It also makes me appreciate, like, how particular they had to be, how there probably wasn't a lot of opportunity for error. They probably had to, like, always, like, really be on point. At some point, once you saw the insects, did you, like, get an idea of why we did this for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah. Okay, oh, good. totally. <laughs> good. And then I saw that fucker come out of the desert. I was like, oh, oh yeah, there it is. connection's made right here. Yeah. And I feel like that influence goes, like... Really far. There's a whole bunch of just big bug monster movies, and there's other big animals, and even the uh, movie Mant, which is like a fake movie within Matinee, where there's like there's this human ant hybrid that like Ooh, tortures people. Love it. Uh, the more you think about how early this film was, and like how many of these tropes go on and on, and like the more impressive it becomes in retrospect. Right. And then like now we get to talk about what happens when people are abnormal sizes. <laughs> <laughs> the ants just appear big for most. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Where is Adam? Well, I... Who is that man in the van? And where did this bunny come from? All right, I confess, I did it! Did what? Pick-a-boo! I blew up the baby! Mama, fall down! Mama! How'd you take it? About like usual. Mama sleeping? So... This sort of used to be like an unofficial horror podcast by mistake because we used to keep doing right. like horror movies over and over they're again. They're so good. Let me read you a list of movies we've done so far in 2018 on this okay. podcast. Throw it out there. Cool Runnings, A Gnome Named Norm, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, <laughs> Jurassic Park, Space Jam, Suburban Commando, Mr. Nanny, Santa with Muscles. We're on like a really deep 90s nostalgia groove. Right. Yeah. We need to get away from it. But, like, I'm kind of liking the ride. Yeah, I want to embrace it a little more, but we do have to let this go at some point. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think it's very appropriate for us to do Honey, I Shrunk the Kids at the end of April after we've done all these, like, Charles Band miniature movies. This is, like, a major studio, you know, Disney, like, one of the, the only major studios left. Right. Doing a Charles Band-style movie where people get shrunk down and have to deal with large things because uh, they're doll man size or even smaller. This is a series of children's movies that Disney did in the 90s called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is the, like, the name of the franchise. And the reason I bring up Charles Band, besides just miniature bullshit, yeah. is that the movie was pitched by two people who got their career started by working with Charles Band. Did you look into this at all? Because I'm about I to surprise you. I looked into what they were going to call it. 
This is going to surprise you. Okay. The two people are Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna. Stuart Gordon. The shunting? Brian Yuzna? Yes. Um, Society! Society. (gasps) So, Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna collaborated on the Reanimator series. It's like their most popular collaborations together. And like From Beyond and all those like... Wow. H.P. Lovecraft style movies. And then Brian Yuzna made some of the most fucked up horror films I've ever seen. And we did a whole episode on him and Screaming Mad George on this podcast a while ago. Uh, And Society is like the crown jewel of those. Such a gloriously fun, fucked up movie. Right. Uh, The two of them pitched this children's film. (laughs) Um, I I read that they were going to call it Teeny Weenies. Yes, that was one of their original titles. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. God, they changed that. Which it makes more sense that they would pitch something called Teeny Weenie. Oh, totally. Like, now that I know this, I'm not surprised at all that they were like, Teeny Weenies. Now, what happened was, Stuart Gordon got sick and had to bow out as the director. Even though they successfully pitched this film to Disney and Disney bought it. And they replaced uh, him for the first movie with Joe Johnston, who did The Rocketeer and Captain America, The First Avenger. He's got this more, like, G. Willikers, like, 50s sci-fi vibe to him, which is totally great. Like, I love his movies, too. Yeah. I do kind of weep for, like, what the Brian Yuzna, Stuart Gordon, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids might have been. What Teeny Weenies would have been? Sounds really ridiculous. But if you notice at the front of every movie, they still get credit in the oh. opening credits for every film. Okay. So when I was watching the series again, it was just, like, surprising to keep seeing Brian Yuzna's name on this, like, children's film. I guess I never I always pay attention to the cartoon too much. Yeah, they uh, do open this film with this, like, the first one from 1989, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Which is, like, classic 80s, like, the animated intro, like, True Beverly Hills. And yeah, all that uh, it's got kind of, like, a Ren and Stimpy look to it. Ooh, I wonder if it's the same anime. It's not, oh. John Kay. Thank God, too, because he came out, exposed as, like, a pedophile in a recent expose. Really horrific shit, I would not... Um, Wait, what? Yeah, that's a fucking hard read. I think it's, like, a BuzzFeed interview with, like, two women like he harassed. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's fucked up. Wow. But it does look like his, like, kitschy 50 yeah. stuff that's, like, slightly gross, you know? This was one of the first sequences of, like, animated CGI to be included in movies. It was the opening sequence for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, and it's got, like, you know, that Ren and Sippy style. I keep, I, I hate that I have to keep referencing it, but it's kind of no, what it looks what like. No, that's what it looks like. But it's got this, like, computer animated effect to it. Uh, it was, like... Not long after Tron did the same thing for the company, which is like a lot of CG animation for Disney as well. And the movie has a 50s sci-fi and horror throwback to it. Kind of like The Incredible Shrinking Man and um, mm-hmm. Attack of the Puppet People. Yeah. And there's even a lot of big buck stuff like them in the movie. Except the ant's really nice. Yeah, the ant's really nice. And there's other evil bugs in the film. Right. Uh, a scorpion and some yeah. bees uh, that are like stop motion animated, thankfully. That the bees use. are really cool. Yeah, they That's do one of my cool. favorite scenes. This is pretty good gateway into like sci-fi and horror. Like, I really loved this movie as a kid and <laughs> yeah. I didn't really know that, you know? Like, it feels mm-hmm. like a bunch of stuff that came before it that I wouldn't have known to be nostalgic for. Right. It was like an introduction. I guess like seeing it as a kid, everything looked really... Like, futuristic, but, like, watching it now, like, all the fucking big-ass remote controls and satellites and shit and all his inventions. I thought that was so fun. Yeah, it's very it's 1950s, so like, uh, bleep-bloop machines, you know? Yeah, like, uh, but with an 80s flair. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and the he there is uh, Rick Moranis. One thing I noticed, mm-hmm. compared to all the other ones in here, he does not have a lot of dialogue. And he is not present as the much as you would think he was. I would think, um, increasingly... Since he was the only actor that carried over from movie to movie, that maybe that's why they kept giving yeah, him more and more lines. Maybe so. This movie is definitely 
more centered on the kids than the parents. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the first one, three kids or four kids uh, who are next door neighbors mm-hmm. get sure. shrunk down by this like sci-fi mad scientist doofus. <laughs> it's like shrinking ray machine. Yeah. They accidentally get his machine to work and he shrinks them down by accident. Mm-hmm. Thus the title. And right. he has to uh, recover them because he sweeps them away with the dust in his attic and puts them in the garbage of the backyard. And they, over the course of a couple days, make their trek across the yard through the now giant leaves of grass uh, with the giant insects right. back to the back door. And all the dirty toys. And There's a... The product placement in here for sure is freaking Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies. Mm-hmm. I noticed that each movie kind of highlights like a brand and it's definitely, I think, oatmeal cream pies is the one for this. That's definitely a Disney thing too. That's mm-hmm. sort of like corporate synergy. And this does feel like a corporate movie. I think well done. I wanted done. one after I watched it. <laughs> That's a good commercial. Yeah. Jesus Christ, that looks great. <laughs> Did you want any of his uh, sci-fi contraptions? You know, he has like an automated lawnmower. The lawnmower. Yeah, yeah the remote control lawnmower. Because um, I love cutting grass. In case you know people that need their grass cut and have a lawnmower, I would love to do it. But yeah, it's like this huge box remote control. And then like it starts off where like the satellites do like a woo-woo. <laughs> and then it just goes on. It's really cool. I think that's probably my favorite. And the mailbox. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. There's so many inventions I'm thinking of right now. What about the the dog treat thing where Quark goes to retrieve his treats and he gets to pick and his little biscuit comes out? Oh, yeah. It's very like Pee-wee's Playhouse Rube Goldberg contraption. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of like that Pee-wee's big adventure, Mm -hmm. his house in there kind of. Yeah. And it's got the same nostalgic kitsch to like the 50s, like. It's almost like they live in a diner, you know? Like it's, right. Uh, it's got a very, like, specific aesthetic. And they talk to each other, like, when Rick Moranis, like, talks to his wife. He's like, all right, see you soon, honey. You know, like, that very, it's very 50s. That's not something you really hear about anymore. Like, people like to think that, like, nostalgia is a new thing. Like, oh, we have too many 80s and 90s nostalgia movies coming out right now. And it's like, all these directors in the 80s made these, like, nostalgic sci-fi movies. A couple episodes like, ago, we talked about Space Invaders, which was basically yeah, just a 1950s... Batteries not included. Yeah. All that uh, kind of yeah. stuff. I think this one has a point to it more than the other two on this list do as well. Like, get unshrunk. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I think the anxiety at the center of the film is, like, kids and parents not paying attention to each other. Uh-huh. Rick Moranis's son is trying to get his dad to notice him and, like trying to emulate his dad and become a scientist like him, and his dad mm. doesn't have the time of day for him. Next door, there's, like, a dad who's, like, trying to get his teenage oh. son into, like, fishing and stuff. Or football. Yeah. Yeah. And the anxiety there is, like, oh, I'm not getting noticed. The kids get shrunk down to a size where they're literally not getting noticed. And they're screaming, like, Dad, Dad, can't you see me? Yeah. And, like, uh, at the end, they're, like, floating in his Cheerios where he's, like, about to eat them, and he's, like, Don't eat me, Dad! I think the movie, like, kind of taps into that childhood anxiety <laughs> of, like... Could you imagine being stuck in Rick Moranis' mouth? <laughs> that sounds wonderful, actually. <laughs> God, he's so clean. You know, he brushes his teeth all the time. We don't really get enough Rick Moranis in general. Like, he retired in 1997 from acting. So it's mm-hmm. been 20 years? Like, that's Aww. nuts. Maybe he'll do, like, how Goldie Hawn came back to do that Amy Schumer movie. Maybe Rick Moranis will do a movie with Amy Schumer. I'm sure it'll be something get, like, that dumb, in yeah. The jungle. <laughs> Okay, even though he's not like really in this movie that much, he's a pretty big part of it. This it's, is what you remember. He just always seems like very occupied with something. Like he's not very like a lot. He has a lot of life in him in this mm-hmm. movie. Whereas the kids like he's very tired. The kids have like a coming of age like 
trek through the grass where right. they like have a sleepover in a giant Lego. Yeah. They have a makeout session. They befriend a giant ant. They name Auntie, mm-hmm. who because of movies like them uh, and other big bug monster movies, we've been trained to expect Auntie to be this like evil villain. But you just give him some oatmeal cream pie and he's your best friend. Right. They have like kind of a Harry and the Hendersons moment where they're trying to push him away. Oh, I hate stuff like that. Like oh, I get really? real, I ooh, like not like oh I hate it. it it's just, like, like very really emotional. tugs at my heartstrings where it's like I don't love you anymore. Go away. And it's always the animals like I'm so confused. Well, why don't you love me? What really should pull at your heartstrings is what happens to Auntie. Uh, yeah. When he tries to protect the children in a fight against a giant scorpion. Oh God. And the scorpion. Speaking of like you know old school horror sci fi stuff. That was pretty cool. It's a stop motion like. Ray Harryhausen style like monster movie fight with this ant where like as we'll see later on if that would have been done in CGI in like recent times in like a cheaper kids movie it would look like total garbage yeah uh but in this movie it looked really fantastic it looks cool all of it looked cool and then like we were kind of talking about before there's a scene where um they are clinging on to the hair of these bees Kind of even forget that like bees have little hairs, um, but they do, and that's what saved them bringing <laughs> on to him. And then there he falls. Um, oh, what's the young boy's name? Well, that's Rick Moranis' son. He falls into this flower, and there's just like pollen everywhere. Uh, his name's Nick. Nick. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very bad. I like that. Like play with scale and stuff, just in general. Like you know, when they get swept up, they have the giant like brooms come through. They're on floorboards, and I didn't. I know, like we didn't watch Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Because it's a 3D experience, but Honey, I Shrunk the Audience was a lot like the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where I remember, like, after you went to see, like, the 3D little movie in Epcot, I believe, you walked through this, like, jungle, and there was, like, a Kodak film case that was a slide, and there was, like, all these, like, big, like, flowers and blades of grass and stuff. I thought that was really cool. And Auntie. You could, like, take a picture of Auntie. That amusement park experience, I think it's, like, 20 or 40 minutes long, somewhere in there. Yeah. You cannot watch that on YouTube, not, like, a real version of it, unfortunately. But they do have a couple walkthroughs where people took footage of the uh, playground outside, which... That exists because Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was, like, massively popular. Yeah, it was super successful. It made $200 million off of an $18 million budget. Damn. Despite the fact that it opened the same weekend as Batman the movie, the fucking Tim Burton movie that made, like, all the money in the world. This movie opened alongside it and still made a ton of money. I like it more than Batman for sure. Really? (laughs) Yes. I like Batman Returns too much to even have this conversation. (laughs) Uh, the one with Michelle Pfeiffer that came after. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that is good. But I mean, for the first Batman movie compared to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They're, like, about, Honey, e- they're about even with me. I, can't, I don't know. I mean, I was three years old when both of those movies came out. So I grew up with them. They're like, I can't even assess them from any kind of like critical distance. They're your babies. No, they're not your babies. You're, it's I'm, I'm those, their babies. Their yeah, babies. They, they raised me, yeah. Oh, your mama and your papa. <laughs> Especially uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came in that like puffy like uh, Disney oh, casing. Oh, God, like, bring me those puffy cases again. They're so great. That's good, Brandon. I used to hate whenever like I would accidentally step on the edge of it and smush it and it wouldn't close all the way anymore. <laughs> you can never get it to pop back. So... <laughs> Because that movie made a ton of money, you get the amusement park ride. Yes. But that means you also get sequels. And although the first movie made $200 million on an $18 million budget, the second movie was made on a $40 million budget, so that's more than twice the amount. Yeah. And only made $76 million. Which I don't know why. Well... I also have an affection for Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Yeah. Which is from 1992. This is my favorite one. 
hands down. I was six years old when this came out, and my mom used to have this tradition where she would take me out of school on the first day or the first week of school and take me to the movies for an afternoon movie. Um, amazing. And this is the first movie I ever remember seeing in the theater. I'm sure she had done it before, but like I don't remember going to the theater before seeing Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. I do feel a lot of nostalgia for this film. Gotcha. But I can say, just re-watching it for the first time in a very long time, that I think it holds up fairly well. Like, it's, it's a fun it's B-movie. It's crazy. Like, it's a giant... What other movie can you think of where they take, like, a giant fucking toddler and make this giant baby? It's a really smart idea. It's like Godzilla as a baby. And you would think that <laughs> someone would have come up with it before, right? I know. It might be out there. We might, like, not be aware of it yet. I mean, I've done some, like, half-assed research for all this, so I don't know about any, like, other giant baby or kid movies, but this is... Well, apparently ah. this movie was sued because what? someone thought they came up with the same idea. The original title was Big Baby. Someone wrote this screenplay completely divorced of Honey, I Shot the Kids, like, just on their own, <laughs> wrote a screenplay called Big Baby and sold it to Disney. And because Disney had this white hot Honey, I Shrunk the Kids property, yeah, and they're like, "Well, that's about small stuff. Let's just use this Big new thing as a sequel." Yeah. In the transition of the screen, they had to get rid of the older daughter character because they were like, "Oh, we don't really have a place for her. Let's it just send her to college." Her to college, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, immediately. But there was this script for a movie that was never actually made, but had been like optioned called "Now That's a Baby." <laughs> uh, that was also about a giant toddler. <laughs> And they successfully sued Disney and got, like, a settlement from some judge. You know what, you know, if, if the baby was regular size, this would be a lot like Baby's Day Out. Yeah, it's a pretty similar concept where this, like, you know, kids are, like, impulsive monsters. And oh, totally. uh, if they were actually, like, allowed enough freedom to go out on and do everything they wanted to do, they would be, like, would fuck everything destructive. Mm-hmm. There's also, like, did. the baby version of them, right? Yeah, there's, like, oh, yeah. thing that... Would be menacing if it was actually big enough to hurt you. And now you have this, like, kaiju-sized baby, like, running amok in Las Vegas. What I, what's cool about the baby in here, so the baby gets accidentally blown up. As opposed to the other kids getting shrunk. Exactly. Right. So the more he's around, like, neon lights and microwaves and stuff, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So he just keeps growing and growing and growing until, like, at the very end, he's, like, fucking huge. And he's... On the Las Vegas Strip, just, like, feeding off of all the neon lights. And the reactions of all the people in the crowd are, like, my favorite. Where they're like, oh. And then, of course, like, Rick Moranis is, like, talking, like, baby talk to him. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's just super, I don't know, it's very funny. couple weird things in there. Sure. If we're going to just dive right into the, the kaiju baby at the end of the film. Oh, um, so you're going to talk about, like, Rick Moranis singing you to sleep. I will get to that. Okay. So you say this baby is like a Godzilla baby. Mm-hmm. We all get that. <laughs> you know, like, it's apparent that's what they're doing. Like, the baby's playing peekaboo from the side of the building, saying peekaboo, like, doing this, like, right. childish game, and people are running in, like, abject <laughs> terror at this giant toddler that's, like, wandering around. Right. Totally justified. But then they feel the need to go the extra distance and have a Japanese woman come out and go, oh my god, it's Godzilla. Why the fuck was that necessary? Really cringy. Well, because in the 90s, people were, I mean, I mean, it's for ch- It's for children. And so. they wanted to give the parents, like, a laugh, I'm sure. I think the parents would already get that. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. An even weirder thing is, if you want to talk about Rick Moranis doing baby talk to this child. Okay, the first half hour of the film, before the baby starts getting big, I think is really painfully bad. Really? I, it's, it's not He's such a good not dad. Cute. He's all like... 
Well, not really. There's a part where he's like, I want to hear ABCs. And Rick Moranis is like, twinkle, twinkle. He's like, no, ABCs. And he like forces twinkle, twinkle on his kid. And I did not like that. <laughs> Basically, the kid can barely speak because it's a two-year-old, which uh-huh. is fine. And Rick Moranis has to like act circles around this like toddler that's just babbling back at him. And it's just not a compelling watch for the first half hour. I like when he's like, oh, you want to go to the restaurant? And he's like, would you like burger and fries? And he puts something in the microwave. Yeah. Not knowing it's made that kid fucking yeah, And the microwave stuff's made him huge. And that's yeah. when the movie gets but he's fun. he's playing like restaurant. So it's like, Rick Moranis has a lot more dialogue in here and he's more like, like happy. I think maybe because his shrink ray. Oh, maybe that's why he was really depressed in the first movie because all the scientists were laughing at him and then he like legit makes something awesome. And he's a lot happier. He's like a happy dad. But he hates his job too though. Because he works for this corporation right. that doesn't take him seriously as a scientist. Right. They bought his shrink ray technology from the first film. But at least they kind of believe in him. So as he's baby talking to the kid, this right. is a weirdly weird line, right? The kid's getting very tired and agitated, so they're supposed to put him down to sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick Moranis says, nap in front of the kid, and the kid freaks out. Yeah. The wife reminds him, honey, we don't say the N-word around the two-year-old. Referring to the oh. word nap. <laughs> that line played really weird. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, that is weird. I didn't, like, put two and two together while I was watching it, because I knew it was an apps. And there's another couple lines like that. Like, the babysitter that's supposed to watch the kid later, she sees how large the child has gotten Carrie and starts Russell. screaming. Yeah. Well, it is Carrie Russell, yeah. that's right. And <laughs> Nick from the first film, the little nerd, yeah. is now this, like, grunge kid who wants to be taken seriously. But he has the same glasses as his dad, with yeah. the big red rims. <laughs> he ties up the uh, babysitter. Oh, yeah, yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. That was crazy. If you promise not to scream, I'll take the gag out of your mouth. There's just, like, it's... lines that, like, sit really weird with me in this movie. That was a very uncomfortable part, where he, she's, like, tied up in the chair... And she's kind of, like, got this, like, ditzy personality, which is, I don't like it that much. It's very weird. Also, like, early in the film, before the baby starts getting big, we, like, follow him to his summer job. And basically, he works at this, like, amusement park with, like, water slides and stuff. Right. And ogles teenage girls in their bikini bodies. Well, I guess it's kind of like he's coming into puberty, because I think Rick Moranis makes a comment, like, well, son, the girls are out of town. You want to talk about the birds and the bees this weekend? And he, like, walk- uh, So I think it's kind of that, like, he's starting to, like, become... Yeah, but if he has to do that, then we have to do it with him. So we're, like, watching true, these, like, Brandon. bikini girls, and they're gotcha. all, like, 12. I don't know. It's really uncomfortable. Could you... You know what would be really uncomfortable? Talking about the birds and bees of Rick Moranis. Oh, that'd be so comfortable. For the first time. I wish I could do that right now. <laughs> In his, like, um, twinkle, twinkle voice. Like, yeah. The birds, the bees. <laughs> That reminded me, he has this, like, rabbit puppet that he talks to. Big that, Bunny. It reminded me of Uncle Joey from Full House had, like, the uh, woodchuck uh, puppet. Oh, my God. Pretty similar wow. setup there. Wow, yeah. you're, you're very right. Okay, <laughs> I'm done complaining about this movie. Okay. It's It's so fun. <laughs> oh, and also, product placement here, fucking Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, yeah. Like, boy, did they focus on that guitar. When they go to Vegas, he plays with all the different advertisements. Um, and Vegas basically is just like a oh, totally. giant advertisement but collection. at the beginning where he's in the van, and I love this part because giant baby Adam is in the van. So it's just this big face in the back seat. And they pass in front of a hard rock cafe and the camera just kind of like focuses on it for like a little bit too long. <laughs> I love when he is big enough to live in the van. 
Like, he's not, like, quite huge, and he's, like, ten feet tall. He can still fit in there. Uh, I love when they put him in um, just big people clothes. Especially, like, a trench coat (laughs) and a top hat. There's something really absurd about a baby-proportioned person wearing these, like, old man clothes. It looks like three kids in a trench coat. And the clothes were too big for him, too. Almost like, how do you... I mean, I guess, like, it kind of makes him still look like a big baby because the clothes don't fit. And the movie's just got fun details like that. Like, when he first escapes the house, he leaves this, like... Looney Tunes shaped hole in the wall as if like Bugs Bunny had like run through the building. Funny. Uh, There's like the magic show that he like creeps in on and everybody jumps in the pool when they see him. Basically, I think the first half hour of this film is garbage. Yeah. And then as soon as the baby starts getting big and actually lives up to like, honey, I blew up the kid, the the premise. I love it. It's really fun. Yeah, it's great. There's a couple like hiccups here or there where I'm not that into it. But, like, I really remember during the Vegas sequence where he's actually Godzilla-sized, he uh, picks up a Lamborghini that the two teenagers are in. Yeah. And they sort of, like, hang out in his, like, Oshkosh Bagosh overall pocket. Yeah, with the crayon and all that kind of stuff. Which brings us back to the miniature sets of the last movie, you know? But everything's real big. And it's a pretty unconventional version of the first film. Like, you would think... In a sequel to a movie that made that much money, they wouldn't want to mess with the formula, and they would just shrink other people down to the uh, ant size again. And I really like this impulse to go big, like, go the opposite direction. Like, oh, if we can shrink stuff, what if we blew stuff up big on the other hand, you know? (laughs) And just the novelty of there being a giant toddler, which I guess if the uh, anxiety of the first film is, like, parents don't pay enough attention to their kids and vice versa... Like, the anxiety of this movie is, like, toddlers are fucking tyrants and evil monsters. <laughs> totally. And really selfish and destructive forces of evil. Uh, what happens if they're <laughs> actually big enough to enact all of their, like, evil plans, you know? Right. I love the poster for this one. It's the family and then a giant toddler shoe about to <laughs> stomp over them. It's so funny. And if you ever lived with, like, a two-year-old, you know that feeling. Like, they really right. are like that. Yeah. One of my favorite lines, uh, just because it is corny, and it goes back to this, like, why did we need to say this? Like, the Godzilla thing. Uh, it's when the babysitter finally comes to and gets de-gagged, and she's like, there's no way I'm changing those diapers. <laughs> <laughs> that conjures an image. <laughs> oh my god, boy does it... I guess he never got his diaper changed yeah. for that whole day. Which would make you think that all of Vegas just smells like shit. <laughs> I don't know. I think. <laughs> okay. I think this movie's actually like really fun. I think that also special effects wise, like it's got a lot of green screen, like plays with scale and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think they do a pretty good job of like making it somewhat seamless. Um, yeah, which... I thought the special effects were really good. Yeah, which goes to them having like twice as big of a budget as the last movie. You know, mm-hmm. more to play around with that falls apart with the next feature. (laughs) Right. Turns out we only like small shit. (laughs) (laughs) This is a more conventional sequel, I think, to the first film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. It's from 1997. How gee is that? Yeah. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Yeah, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid sounds like a horror film. Like, this guy like exploded your child. Yeah. (laughs) Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves is a lot more wholesome sounding. Yeah. This asked for the same budget as Honey, We Blew Up the Kid. It asked for a $40 million budget. It did not get green-lighted. They were like, we don't need that movie. And it sat on the shelf for five years. Oh, because then it, it went straight to video, which I was very surprised of. Like, I had it on video, but I didn't realize it didn't go to theaters. What happened was Disney got on a kick with making sequels to their beloved 
animated classics from the early 90s. Uh, like Aladdin oh, 2, Lion King 2, Little Mermaid 2. All the 2s. And they were like, well, if we can make these direct-to-video sequels to our beloved movies and make a profit off of them, yeah. let's see if we can do the live-action ones as well. So they pulled this We Shrunk Ourselves script out of Purgatory and were like, okay, do the same movie but on a uh, $7 million budget. So like way shrunk down. It's like half the budget of the first movie and made like eight years later. So like it's really just way off. You've been talking a lot about product placement through the course of this. It's a lot in here. The production designer of this film felt stifled by her budget. So she got permission to sell the movie to product placement people to up her own budget to make the set pieces pop more. Which you would never fucking tell because this movie looks terrible. A lot of it takes place in the kitchen. Uh, so you have product placement for like tricks, cereal, right. Coca-Cola, Cheerios. There's a very Even, long sequence with Hot Wheels. Yeah, oh, the Hot Wheels. And especially the, um, I think Hot Wheels is the main one for this yeah, whole that's movie. Yeah, the big one. But then also um, the Le Choy Chop Suey. They want you to see all <laughs> this stuff. And it's all very front and center. <laughs> Rick Moranis is the only actor to return to this film. And he's great. He actually is pretty cute in this. Yeah. And if he retired in 1997 and this movie was 1997, like, this is one of his last contractual obligations before he gave up. Oh, um, and Bug. Bug Hall. He played Alfalfa. He's, um, Adam. Grown-up Adam. He was Alfalfa in The Little Rascals. Oh, in the one with Whoopi Goldberg at the end. (laughs) The good one. Oh, that's fucked up to say. (laughs) Really? Okay. Those 30 shorts are so good. The, like, original Our Gang stuff. I know. Yeah. But I like that movie a lot. <laughs> I love the pickle song. So, this is the last, like, Rick Moranis role for a while. Oh, yeah. This is the last Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. And the movie franchise then transitioned into a Disney Channel TV show. That looks really fact. painful. I cannot stop looking at the cast photo for that, because it's, like, so disturbing. <laughs> it's, it's like It doesn't... Oh, it makes me sick. It looks like a porn parody or something, but it's got children in it. Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's just off in a way that's like really they, they upsetting. They shouldn't have done it. So it's kind of like, can you imagine what it must be like watching it? <laughs> it looks like a, a parallel hell realm Does that we actually keep... got a photo from, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Does he just keep shrinking stuff in every episode? Uh, I think they go into like weirder, like parallel dimensions, you oh. know, like there's a like, demon character and <laughs> it's... Um, I'm on. It used to be syndicated after it was on Disney Channel for a <laughs> I while. I sold it to me. But... Yeah, I, this is the one that I've, like, remembered the most until I, like, rewatched them all. I just remember, like, onion dip. The dip part. I, French onion dip is one of my favorite things to eat in the whole world. And there's this part where they go into the onion dip. And it's so delicious. Which is a repeat of the Cheerios gag from the first oh, movie. good one. And this movie kind of, like, follows the pattern of, like, repeating old gags. Like, in every single movie, the mom faints the first time she hears about stuff. Uh, and he says, honey, I think we shrunk ourselves. Yeah. So like, honey, I blew up the kid. And in terms of this being a more conventional sequel, it's the same exact movie as the first one, except for two different things. The parents are shrunk instead of the kids this time. And instead of trudging through the backyard, they're in the house the whole time trying to get their kids' attention to blow them back up to normal size. <laughs> yeah. We get an entirely new actress playing the mom. Mm-hmm. Both of the kids from the first film are now off to college. Right. And the baby from the second film has been replaced by some kid who apparently played Alfalfa yes. in the Little Rascals movie. And Homegirl, who recently got arrested for sex trafficking. So I had a gout attack a couple weeks ago <laughs> and watched all three of these movies in a row. 
with no breaks in between them. Oh my god. And the same evening I did so, I read about Allison Mack being... Was she convicted or... Yeah. Convicted for sex trafficking. I had heard her name before in the news because of the sex trafficking sex cult case. But she's always billed as Smallville actress, Allison <laughs> Mack. Which is weird because it should be Honey, I Shrunk the... Honey, Honey we, we Shrunk, shrunk ourselves. ourselves actress. Like, looking at her, I don't know if it was, like, me just being, like, all judgmental because, like, I heard the news story, but I was like, something looks a little off about her. Well, she has a terrifying bowl cut in this film. Maybe that's it. It's she doesn't look one right. of the worst haircuts I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> also, Mila Kunis plays one of her friends at the party. At the party. A uh, really weird thing about that. Uh, do you remember when we saw Troop Beverly Hills? Yeah, Tori Spelling appeared in that movie. Yeah. Uh, like, right before she was on 90210 and looked like a fucking baby. Yeah. Mila Kunis in this is, it's only a year before that 70s show. She looks like a baby. She looks like a child. And I, me and James just saw her in Santa with Muscles, the uh, Hulk Hogan movie. We talked about that last episode. And it's not that long before this. And she looks like a really small baby. And I know she had lied about her age to get onto that 70s show. Uh-huh. Like she told them that she was older than she actually was. But like watching her in this, it's like, how could anyone possibly think that she was an adult? It's terrifying Maybe to me. It's like the clothes. Yeah. Is it all in what we wear? I guess so. She's like stylized to look older. Like she was shopping at like the limited two in this movie. <laughs> and her storyline with Allison Mack is very Disney Channel. I can feel the Disney Channel vibes. The story in this movie is the parents, because they're shrunk, the kids think that they're free for the weekend and have the house all to themselves, no rules. <laughs> And the girl, played by Allison Mack, decides to throw a party with cute boys. <laughs> Three of them. Yeah, it's such a limited budget. The uh, original script, before it was like shrunk down to $7 million, had this giant party that got oh. out of control. <laughs> but here it's like so sad. It's like seven kids like eating bubble, onion dip. A bubble machine. Yeah. <laughs> Even um, costuming-wise... Uh, the cheerleader character that comes wow. in with the silver top that says whatever. And <laughs> I want it. I, yeah, obviously. beautiful. But yeah. also very Xenon girl, the 21st uh-huh, century, you know? Right. And that guy, that asshole, like, dude that, like, comes in and, like, bullies immediately. Such, like, a PSA thing. He looks like the guy from Brink. Like, he has that, like, <laughs> butt cut and is like, he's about to rollerblade out of here with your heart. Yeah, it's that same Jonathan Taylor Thomas, like, middle part yeah. uh, look. Okay, let's talk about him for a second. Okay. Allison Mack has been convicted for sex trafficking in real life. Right. Her <laughs> character arc in this film is actually a really no. big lesson about consent. Right. And you know, the whole time she was in that, she was like, <laughs> can't wait to sex traffic when I grow up. <laughs> you know, like, that's so, that was very weird. Yeah. Like, it was just, it's just so weird how, like, this timing happened. And I don't want to be like, oh, the universe kind of person. But for real, the fucking universe like, all this shit happened while we were doing this Honey, I Shrunk the Kids episode. Yeah. Like, that was crazy. Some terrible happenstance. <laughs> Some dark shit. Dark stuff. It's very crazy. She gets cornered in the kitchen by the butt cut child. Butt cut boy. Uh, she tells him <laughs> earlier in the film that she thinks he's cute, and he takes this as a signal that it's okay to corner her in another room and right. kiss her without asking first. And she gives him this big, long, like, like spiel. A, like a mom speech. And then her mom's, like, listening in. And like she's her proud. tiny mom. And she's like, I love my daughter. I trust her. So the thing was like, oh, we can trust our kids. They, they're good kids and they make good choices. But what I wanted to mention too is the potassium issue. I found out that Bananas had potassium because of this movie. That's what triggered in me that I had seen this before. 
Because you remember the banana thing. There's this kid who doesn't take his medication and he has like a potassium deficiency. And they're like, what can we give him to revive him? Oh yeah, bananas have potassium. As soon as they said that, I had this like crazy flashback to the one time I had probably seen this when it came out 20 years ago. Uh, I was and like, they said that and you were like, oh. Oh yeah. <laughs> cool. This is where I learned about bananas being high in potassium. Yeah. Yeah. So the lesson of the movie might have been the consent thing. I don't know. Uh, but the lesson I took away was the potassium and the bananas. If you're potassium deficient and you don't have your medicine, grab the nearest banana and shove it down your throat because <laughs> you will come back to life. If you want to um, track the trajectory of what these movies are about, like the first one has the anxiety of like parents ignoring their kids. Uh-huh. The second one's like toddlers are monsters. Right. <laughs> and this one I think is more about like families policing each other, mm-hmm. which I found really toxic. Like Wayne Zielinski's... Rick Moranis' like big yeah. gripe in this movie is that his wife never lets him have any fun. And she's basically like the fucking fun police. Yeah. And like her whole thing is she wants to get out of town away from her family and kids. <laughs> and the parents, like, as soon as they get shrunk down, their kids are like, fucking finally, I'm not around my cop parents anymore. Right. It's and this- then like his, his son wants to uh, go to baseball camp and they're like, oh, <laughs> you're going to science camp. That's going to be boring. Like they're just ignoring their kid. Also, the kid has to hide his uh, Sports <laughs> Illustrated for kids, speaking of ad placements, and the parents think that they're looking at porn, <laughs> but it's actually like this it's sports so magazine. Sad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's like, I think the crux of like what I hate about the modern family unit is like how much families police each other and like the wife is supposed to be this like no fun nag and like the kids and the parents have this like criminal cop like dynamic. Right. And I really hate that shit. And this movie treats it like it's totally normal. But they shrunk them all and then it helped them. Yeah, I guess they could... at the end they were like, should we put them back to normal size? Hmm? But then like they decide in like two seconds, like, no, let's like untrank them. Yeah, the kids decide they need their parents. And the parents decide their kids are actually pretty well equipped to take care of themselves and like right. learn from their own experiences. So they all learn. Yeah. And Cork is still in this episode, the dog. Oh, really? Right? I can't remember. <laughs> I will say I think he is. the actual like parents being shrunk, having adventures is mm-hmm. not as memorable here. Cause the first one, the kids get shrunk down. Right. And you follow their adventures here. The movie tries to have it both ways where like the movie's about the kids being alone and like having this like right. fun time. No parents. Uh, the little boys build this like chili volcano and they make oh, a mess in the kitchen. The chili volcano with the hot dog weenies. <laughs> teeny weenies is back. <laughs> yeah, teeny, they finally got it in there. Finally. Uh, and the parents are the ones that have the miniature adventures. I love the like the Hot Wheel car scene is one of my faves because like that track, oof, gift from God right there. Like, could you imagine like every time I had a Hot Wheels track, I would lose like five pieces of the damn road and I could never build it. But this kid, like, it was just all there, all organized. And he had, like, portions of the track where, like, it would speed them up and mm-hmm. push them, like, ugh. Which I'm sure you could buy at your nearest Toys R Us at the right. time. I'm uh, This is basically, like, a Hot Wheels commercial, and unapologetically so. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of, like, of, like, Crossfire commercials where you're, like, in the game. Spin it out of control. Crossfire. <laughs> crossfire. Yeah. And, like, in reality, Crossfire was just, like, this big square with a tiny ball. Yeah. And the commercial made it look like freaking the Kumate or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> it looked like Beyond Thunderdome Ooh, or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's that sequence. There's, like, a scene where they get caught up in bubbles and, like, float around oh, in the bubble, the bubble machine. machine. That's the first time I ever saw a bubble machine in my life. And I was like, that is so great. That is great. And I, oh, I'm sure you could buy that at your nearest Toys R Us. Yeah. <laughs> um, it worked, though. I remember being little, and I'm like, oh, God, I want to go eat a bunch of onion dip. Wow, that bubble machine is cool. 
Oh, they know what to do. And they brought back the big bugs in this one, which oh, we're kind of missing a, in the second one. It's a very one. sweet story. Tell me about With it. The big bug. Well, he's a um. Oh, there's a two. Daddy long legs. Okay, yeah, the daddy long legs. And that's when I learned that they, like they eat the bad stuff for you, so you shouldn't kill them. So other than the potassium with the bananas, I learned that we don't kill the daddy long legs because they're the good guys and they're not going to bite us. And they learned that the two mothers they help him get untangled from his silk web. It is cheap in. CGI though. It doesn't look that good. It's not as like heartwarming as Auntie, right? For sure. But it was kind of like. Also, Auntie gets this really long arc over, like, a whole sequence where, like, right. they get to know him, they try to push him away, he mm-hmm. protects them from the scorpion. Right. The Daddy Long Legs sequence is condensed to, like, a scene. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's terrible. Actually, he's kind of good. And then they just kind of move on to the mm-hmm. next set piece. Earlier in the script, they also have a scene in a roach motel, which I think was a lot closer to, like, the sci-fi horror of the earlier film, where these, like, giant... CG roaches trapped them in this like little glue trap. When was Joe's apartment made? Yeah, I don't know. Probably around the same time as this. I have no idea. Interesting. Okay. I was actually anyway. banned from seeing that when I was a no. kid. I've actually never seen it as a result. I need to check it out. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Is it good? Yes. Okay. Cockroaches talk. Okay. Sorry. It's weird because I saw barbed wire in the theater. I don't know why I was probably. The I saw barbed wire because my pa- my parents took me to that. Like, there's probably no way they would have like sat through a bug movie so they're like fuck no you can't watch that um, i appreciate that they brought back the killer bugs in this yeah i appreciate that they try to teach teen girls about consent that's a pretty admirable thing even though allison mack kind of taints that in retrospect oh, god i know <laughs> if only we knew this movie's not very good no it isn't it's entertaining but it, let me put it this way as a real movie it's not very good. Like, I get why. Like, I was surprised that it didn't go to theaters just because of how big it was. Like, for a straight-to-video release, it was a pretty big movie. Like, at least... They probably like, pushed know. it pretty hard because they wanted to see how well a live-action movie could do in that market. But, yeah, I don't. I could not see this being a big success. I think if you consider it as a Disney Channel original movie, yeah, it's pretty on pretty par. Like, it's, it's, like, maybe on par with Xenon, but, like, maybe not. It's about the same. Yeah. Like, I'd probably mark both of them as, like, a three-star, okay, fine time. Oh. The other two films we talked about today, I think, are much better. Yeah. Honey, I Struck the Kids, I can't even really judge that, because I grew up with it. I'm too close to it. Right. But I think it's a really good gateway drug to kids for, like, sci-fi horror, like, 50 stuff. Mm-hmm. And Honey, I Blew Up the Kid is just so fucking weird. It's so good. To yeah. have this, like, kaiju baby running around, just causing havoc... It takes a minute for the movie to get started, but once the baby starts, like, running amok, it's a really fun picture. No, he wants his ice cream. Did you say that was your favorite one? Mm-hmm. What makes that your favorite? I just think it's the funnest. Like, the big baby. I still think it's super funny. Like, when he's, like, dancing and, like, about to, like, stomp over buildings and everyone's like, Adam, oh, sweet baby. Like, the moms are like, oh, that's my little baby boy. Which is kind of how, it's, it's like being around other people's kids when they're being tyrants. You're like, oh my god, stop. Like, I know I mentioned this, but like, I did work in a toy store, and I saw like, that made me never want children. <laughs> and it also made me like, think like, god, parents, you can't give your kid every effing thing they want. But like, that little Adam, like, hissy fit for his ice cream, like, kids do that all the time. And parents would just be like, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. And I'm like, oh my god, like, throw it in the car. Would it be safe to say that uh, parents just don't understand? They don't. (laughs) They really don't. God. Would you say, would Adam be a millennial baby? 
Because you know how they're always saying, like, millennials get, like, their parents are like, good job, and you're such a good boy, and all this that kind of stuff. This 92. I'd say that probably fits a millennial. Yeah. I don't know when the cutoff is to, like, the Z So you think that the parenting that's yeah, shown it's like funny I shrunk the kid. It's all about the kid and, like, building these, like, like miniature a, sets around the kid right. and, like... It's not his fault that he's right. destroying everything. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably safe to say. It's, like, part it's of so that, like... funny. I think what people say about the millennial generation is that earlier generations, the kid was just sort of there and had to conform to the parents' lifestyle. Yeah. And that when we were kids, our parents went the other way. We're like, I don't, it's like, I don't believe all the hoopla either. Like, I don't believe that shit either. I don't, I don't think I'm a piece of shit. People are basically mad at us for being underemployed, which is like really fucked up. (laughs) No, it's very true. Yeah. So, but I'm sure Adam's doing very well. For himself, since his dad's in Well, he got to make a chili volcano in the next film, so... Oh, be true. I forgot about that. <laughs> He's living his best life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what else could be done? So, they could... Honey, we blew ourselves. Oh, no. <laughs> or, like, honey, I... I think a giant cork would I be sh- fun. So, like, shr- a giant dog. dog. Yeah. Oh, what about a little dog? So, it'd be, like, a homeward bound? Like, you follow the dog through his, like, But you try to, travels. like, find him... I like the idea of, like, the dog playing. It's kind of the same way as the toddler, like... But that would be very destructive. Yeah. It would be horrific, but it's also a big sweet boy, so you can't get that mad at it. (laughs) Very true. That would be my pitch, anyway. Honey, I blew up the dog. Honey, I blew the dog is not as good of a story. (laughs) No, I don't like that at all. (laughs) Or, honey, I shrunk the house. Honey, I blew up the world. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, I shrunk the country. Oh, or like it goes like, honey, I shrunk the president or something. It's kind of like the movie Downsizing that came out last year, the Alexander Payne didn't movie. I didn't see it either. But it's about this like liberal utopia that's like a shrunken down society. Well, where did it society. steal its plot from? I mean, they they probably both take from the same yeah. like 1950s like tiny man attack stuff. of the puppet people, the incredible shrinking right. man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Love this stuff as a kid. Still like it now. Still good. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we did that. And just the factoid about Brian Yuzna and uh, oh, Stuart Gordon coming up with this shit is enough to Love that. make it worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think we should do one more 90s nostalgia thing, and then we should move on. Okay, but yeah, I know. Like, it's still feeling good. One more. Okay. Okay. Uh. <laughs> and that'll probably come up in about a month. I think next episode, me and James are going to do, like, a festival recap. Do some, like, spring cleaning. Because I've been to two movie festivals that we haven't done episodes on. I want to hear about Overlook really bad. I'll do that next episode. Nice. And actually, if you want to read about what I did at Overlook, I just posted a recap of it. Hello. So, look around late May. I'm sorry. Late April, early May. What fucking month is this? Jesus Christ. Around the time of early May, I posted a recap of the uh, Overlook Film Festival. I saw three movies at the festival and did a couple other things and volunteered and like did kind of a recap of like nice. the history of it moving around the country and stuff. So cool. if you're interested in any of that stuff, it's, it's up on the website right now. And next month, instead of small stuff, we're going to be talking about animated Batman movies. <laughs> Which actually brings up its whole other 90s nostalgia feeding loop. Like, we need to get away from this. <laughs> yeah, look forward to us breaking this cycle sometime soon. With, like, some early 2000 rom-coms or something. Something like That'd that. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, bye, everybody. Bye.